1: Steelers Outpost podcast. A proud member of the Armchair All-Americans Network. It's June 16th, 2019. This is Tom in the Washington DC Outpost. Nick joins me from the Houston Outpost and happy Father's Day to all the fathers out there.
0: Happy Father's Day to you. I should have done the intro today. You can say happy Father's Day to yourself as well. Um, I don't know if anybody's gonna construe that as narcissistic, but from from the outside looking in as, um, I don't know if you can call me the fathery Being the son in this situation, I can give 25,000 thumbs up in the air. And thank you for being such an amazing father to me, to my sister, and most importantly, to Steelers Nation, baby.
1: Well, I'm humbled by that. I I appreciate that. Yeah, you deserve it. try to live up to it. Hey, uh, I know we want to talk about football, but I I just had a, a... Recent experience, I just went out to get a sandwich prior to us launching the podcast, and this is a little – these shops are on a street, so you pull – they actually have a straight-in parking spot, but there is virtually no room. You have to pull out right into the street, and if you pull straight in, you've got to back into the street. And I know all of you have experienced this in life. It's when you try to get onto a highway from an on-ramp, and people feel it's their job to make sure you don't get on. It's sort of like blocking out in basketball. Yeah, blocking out this is just a cooperative situation everybody knows this is a horrible street to drive down you need to go at 5 miles an hour people are pulling in and out and i'm watching this guy try to back out slowly looking both ways and i watch this acura speed up and then he lays on his horn on this guy you know hmm. clearly and this the the car that was coming up the street was 50 yards away had plenty of time to slow down and let this give this guy a little chance but hey Let's be kind to each other out there, especially on Father's Day.
0: Yeah. What's with the aggression, guys? I mean, training camp doesn't even start till August. If, you're, if we're in August, if we're in September, if, if there's teams making a playoff run here. Now, you're in D.C., so I don't really think that they have to worry about that. But maybe they're Steelers fans in D.C. And, and, you're, and you're in the zone? Sure. Maybe hit him with the little Joey Porter. Hit him with the intimidation. But it is June right now. It is Father's Day. You should be thinking about the dads of the world, not laying on the Acura horn, which I can only imagine must be it's got to be a puny horn. It's got to be it's got to be a B flat or something. You want a nice robust horn if you're going to lay on it that says like, hey, you know, I mean business, but also you know, I got some restraint as well.
1: Yeah, something like an F150. But speaking of <laughs> preserving Manly. yourself, this actually is a good segue. We we're talking about preserving yourself. Don't go too hard early in the season. But there's a lot of chatter about how much they're gonna rely on James Conner. Are they gonna they gonna burn him out like it presumably LeVeon was approaching? And um are they gonna are they gonna running do a running back by committee this year?
0: Right. So the Steelers just got out of the required a, a mini camp a couple of days there. And one of the big quotes that came out of the mini camp was the fact that Tomlin said that he is open basically to reducing James Conner's carries or running back one's carries. They've kind of doubled down and talking about how, you know, James Conner is the guy, but they really want to see what Benny Snell and Jalen Samuels have to offer. And I was f- thanking the gods, the football gods, When that quote came out, because we've been railing against this for years, man. And I know that it's easier said than done. It's June right now. Tomlin says, oh, we're going to reduce some of the running back one's carries. But I could, of course, see us getting into the situation in October when the Steelers are up by 10 with five minutes left, you know, like up by two scores, and he's still running Le'Veon Bell back in the day, still running James Conner in this hypothetical futuristic situation, still running him, you know, 10 more times to ice the game. Like, how many times did you see that with Bell, especially, who, you know, got a pretty famous, famously gigantic workload, where he would have one of those games where it's like 24 carries for 150 yards, one of his big games, and they would add another 10 carries on at the end of the game. And in one sense, I if it's a one-score game and the, and it's in the fourth quarter, you do need to keep, keep the beast man in there. And the beast man for us these days is James Conner. You need to keep him in there. You need to ice the game. But if you're up by two scores and it's very – uh, the likelihood is very low that the other team's going to be able to catch up and you have somebody who you trust as the backup like the Steelers always had. They had D'Angelo Williams. They had young James Conner. And we'll see what's up with Benny Snell. That to me is the time when you could take some of the wear and tear off of the Steelers running back because, you know, Bell had the one year when they played the Jaguars in the playoffs where he actually made it through the entire year. But other than that, Bell and Conner are hurt every year.
1: Well, I went back to see what kind of load there was actually being levied, put in 10 on the running backs. Last year, as you know, James, James Conner ranked 11th in terms of number of carries and number of yards in the NFL, but the Steelers were ranked 31st in the NFL in terms of number of carries and number of yards uh, rushing. So I'm not sure you know, that they exactly loaded up on him last year. But if you look at Le'Veon Bell's three seasons that he had you know, more than a passing uh, number of games – 2014 16 and 17 he he was the third leading carrier in 14 the eighth leading carrier in 16 the first leading carrier in 17 i think the difference is they just rode him i mean he averaged 70 percent of the carries when uh you know we had james Conner, he was he was about 67 percent of the carries and in 2015 if you recall d'angelo williams was carrying and he only carried half half the rushes that season So it seemed like it just seems like a a special situation with Le'Veon that they loaded him up and you know, who knows what's gonna happen this year, but we feel that they have a solid running back core and I just imagine that they will follow through on what Tomlin said and maybe not running back by committee connotes something that uh, that I don't think is going to happen, but I think that they'll be giving James Conner more spells this year.
0: I agree. I think that some people are skeptical about this because, you know, we've sort of heard him say this before and they haven't reduced the carries. I would argue, no, we really haven't heard him say this before or make a point to come out and and take a stance on lowering the carries for the running backs. And I think that they have the sample size from years past, and and they've seen how – you know, other teams can be effective when you bring a guy in to spell somebody for a minute. The best example I remember of how to how to take somewhere and tear off your running back was Ezekiel Elliott's rookie year when he was basically an NFL MVP candidate. Obviously, he tore us apart that year. And... When the Steelers were playing the Cowboys, and I noticed this in a couple other Cowboys games I had seen earlier that year, but especially when the Steelers played them, Ezekiel Elliott was running rampant all over them. But in, I think, the end of the third quarter, they put in their backup running back, Alfred Morris was the backup at the time, and they gave him about five carries and sat Ezekiel Elliott, which reminds me sort of of how... You know, whatever team LeBron James is playing for in the NBA, they sit him for, like, the first couple minutes of the fourth quarter so he can play the whole end there. And the third quarter, it's like, hey, you know, there's there's still plenty of time to handle your business after this, but this is a good point in the game to get the guy to take some carries off of him, especially when you have someone capable at the backup, which, honestly, a lot of people do, and hopefully the Steelers have that. So I – I also agree with what you're saying about Le'Veon being sort of a special case because you're also forgetting, I mean, the guy had a million catches, so he's getting way more touches than even the rushing carries show. Mm -hmm. And I got that to a certain point because Le'Veon Bell was such a force of nature that it really was, he was kind of an unstoppable force if you just fed him the ball in that way. So I I do agree that he was more of a special case. You know, D'Angelo Williams getting half the carries that year, well, that's because I think he only started – you know half the year because bell had played the other ones and then connor last year that's a really interesting stat you showed steelers have 31st or 32nd and uh that's what they placed in rushing attempts overall last year but connor who missed four games or something like that right he's he's 11th in carries that's (laughs) that's crazy that discrepancy tells you, oh yeah, it was James Conner who was getting a crazy amount of work, and I think that they've recognized that, and it'll help somebody like James Conner, who's a very physical runner, to take some pounding off his body.
1: Well, maybe this, I I don't know if I can extrapolate this one bit of data, but Le'Veon averaged about almost 1,300 yards over those three seasons I quoted, but his uh, more carries, I mean, it seems like the more carries, his, his yards per carry went down, and I don't know if that indicates just (laughs) the exhaustion fast factor
0: yeah we talked about that a lot in the last year when he actually played for the Steelers and I know people might get annoyed about us talking about Le'Veon Bell and Antonio Brown so much on these podcasts but that's the structure of the Steelers offense for the past four or five years and now they're moving into a new structure so that's where all of our data points come from Le'Veon Bell was the Steelers running game so that's how we talk about where they were, and what they're transitioning to now. But that last year, we talked about that a lot, how his his average was down. Some people wanted to make it a big deal because he missed training camp and it took him a little while to get going. I do think there's something to that, but I don't think that was all of it. You and I also said in a lot of those game breakdowns, the offensive line was not run blocking particularly well in those games. And a lot of that was Bell making something from nothing. So I don't know if we'll ever realize – why his rushing average was down particularly in that final year but it it was and, and maybe exhaustion was part of that my thing is more injuries are a part of football football is this is why one of the big reasons why there's so much parity besides the fact that the rules are set up to give teams with less good players a, a more of an opportunity to acquire good players via the salary cap via draft position but so much luck goes into football in terms of if you get the wrong injury at the right time. Maybe if you play a great team who, like I always use the example last time or two times the Steelers have played the Packers, Aaron Rodgers has been hurt. So you sort of luck out in that sense and you know the ball bounces weird. You get a weird call against the Chargers. You get another weird call against the Saints. Xavier Grimble fumbles off the zero yard line. Weird freak things happen. And, you know, it changes the direction of the entire game. It can be the difference between winning and losing. So if you can exert some sort of control over one of the biggest luck factors, which is the injuries, then you should try and do it, as long as you're not being stupid and and just resting Connor for the sake of resting Connor.
1: Uh, speaking of exhausting, I think we exhausted that. We, yeah. uh, we, are, <laughs> we are on Father's Day, and I, I was – think it made me think about both you kids and uh how I, early on I tried to get you tried to get you interested in the Steelers, so you know clearly, I, I was interested in the Steelers in the late seventies there was a lot going on. It was a great time to be in Pittsburgh, especially it was in high school and then I went to college and moved to Washington, got a job. It was hard to see a game down here. It was rare that it was on television, so i and we also didn 't have a lot of success, so I lost interest somewhere in the early 90s, uh, I became aware of DirecTV. And at that time, I guess I started making enough money to afford the ridiculous cost of the NFL package. But I had a dish installed. I think actually it was 1996 I had the dish installed, so I was able to watch games. I renewed my interest. And I would sit you down next to me, and we'd have all the black and gold out, and all you wanted to do was play Batman. So it wasn't any of my impetus that ever caused your interest and i i don't recall when and why you got interested because you certainly were not living in steelers territory and you weren't interested in watching the games on sunday
0: and now i have a full-blown illness right and it's been that way for probably tw- yeah. almost 20 yeah. years now
1: <laughs> the hole in the the hole in the wall in your. uh bedroom would attest to that
0: yeah from Jerome Bettis fumbling on the one yard line against the Colts in the divisional that's when I, I actually never saw the Ben Roethlisberger famous tackle I did not see that in real time because at that time in my life I had oh, little to no control over my emotions whatsoever what was I 15 at that time I think and uh, once he fumbled I believe I just screamed and sprinted into the room and chucked the football at the at the closet door, which still has a hole in it. You could tell the kid had a cannon I already been playing QB for a couple of years, so I was prepared. but yeah, we were talking about this earlier this week. I was thinking it's it's funny too, like how did it how did it get like this? and I actually you know grew up a pretty uh, serious athlete, but i I didn't become that way until around like fourth or fifth grade. Before that, you're right. It was all Batman. It was just Batman and Super Mario. Those were my interests and uh, nothing else really. But a couple things clicked and I was thinking back to it. You know, what's funny is Super Mario sort of led to my Steelers love. Obviously the door was through you. I was by default a Steelers fan, uh, brainwashed into believing I grew up in Pittsburgh which used to piss mom off <laughs> incessantly when I used to tell people that I'm from Pittsburgh and you say, you were born in simply hospital in Washington, DC, the nation's capital. I said, Nope, I was born in Pittsburgh hospital, Pittsburgh, but super Mario indirectly sort of led to me becoming a serious Steelers fan. You guys got me N64, Nintendo 64 for my birthday or Christmas or something one year, and one of the games that came with it was Brett Favre's NFL Quarterback Club, a horrific football game, a stain on the underpants of football society in terms of video games. Madden would just spit upon this game. The gameplay was so bad, but nonetheless, I used to play with the Steelers, and I started to get to know the actual players, That's when I fell in love with my first true love, Cordell Stewart. Number 10, running quarterback, athlete of the Steelers. So I learned who Cordell was. I learned who Jerome Bettis was. I learned who Heinz Ward was. I learned who Lee Flowers was. (laughs) LeVon Kirkland. These are my guys on defense. And I think that just sort of gave me the end. So then we would watch on TV and you see Cordell. And now I start recognizing, like, hey, I know those players. And that's what really opened the door. And then there's kind of a a thousand more hilarious steps that go from there. But that was the first thing. So I got to thank you again on Father's Day for that N64.
1: And then followed a series of very overpriced jerseys. And uh, here we are today. (laughs) As you pointed out, the emotion is unbridled. Well, it's a little better, but it adds to the podcast, I think.
0: It is a little bit better. Yeah, I actually work on that. I I am serious where I do struggle sometimes. And I've talked about this on the podcast before, especially when the AB trade – went down. I struggle sometimes with realizing how inconsequential it is to get sincerely worked up about football, you know, NFL football. Like, come on, man, you're not on the team. This is, you know, just for fun. This is whatever. I don't get super upset in real life. The only thing that can get me very angry (laughs) is related to the Steelers is Chris Boswell slipping on a game winning field goal attempt against the Raiders. So I have to reconcile that a lot, and I work every year on not letting it have so much of a hold over me. It's kind of embarrassing almost. But I have also reconciled the fact that, like, hey, man, this is what it's all about. And the passion is real. And and I live and die with the Steelers just like a lot of the people who listen to this podcast do. And I don't think that there's anything wrong with that. And that's what makes it fun. It's an expression. There's there's other elements of your life that are getting sort of wrapped up into it. I have been – my life has been improved because of the Pittsburgh Steelers. And I know that sounds crazy, but one of the reasons why I love Antonio Brown so much was – well, I did – was actually when I started following him on social media and everybody makes the joke. It's just so ridiculous how tied in that guy is, but I would watch his Instagram live videos. And that's when I really started to get a sense of how hard this guy works. And you, you know, people, you just hear about players working hard and this and that, but when you see him on a daily basis and he's in the gym at six in the morning, and then he's back in there again at 10 at night. And I was watching this every day of my life, you know, Going parallel with the, with how hard I was working or wasn't working. And I really got a sense for the amount of minutes that this guy put into it. And that really inspired me and that work ethic. Uh, I, I transferred a lot of that to my life. And so there are things about football that do transfer to real life. It's also like loving music or loving art. It's not everything in, in life has to have some. I don't want to say like tangible, some quantifiable purpose, you know, like, oh, I worked this job. I was able to get this money, which enabled me to get this apartment. And now I have some security or whatever. It, 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 there are other parts of the human brain that need expression. And that's sort of what the Steelers, uh, what they do for me. And I just try and keep it in perspective. I do blow up during the year, but I have gotten a lot better about that. And I'm less embarrassed about my fervor as well, I think.
1: And there you have the Pittsburgh philosophical moment for this week. Hey, there were some rule changes uh, that we had been kicking down the road until we had a little little time. I just thought we could go over there. Not nothing too major, but so they made the the overtime rule changes permanent. The kickoff, or actually, I'm sorry, there was an overtime time rule change, but significantly, let's can we talk a little bit about pass interference? I think we got a little more clarity there.
0: Yeah, so. This whole pass interference rule, the overreaction to the blown call in the Saints versus the Rams NFC Championship game, uh, it was causing some big-time ripples. Listen, was it a terrible call? Yes, it was a terrible call. But, you know, people are going to overreact to this, and they wanted to make, you know, every pass interference reviewable. And I can tell you, I can promise you that that would have created way more Hundreds more Saints Ram situations because of now every single you can it's like the old saying, you can find holding on any NFL play. You can find pass interference on any NFL play too, especially when you're slowing it down to slow motion. It sort of takes things out of context. So I was very scared that they were just going to make pass interference over, reviewable. and there's going to be this overcorrection to what we know is, you know, it's probably the worst call since the Tuck rule, right? And that's about 18 years in between those two calls. So I think that if you overcompensated and made all pass interference reviewable, that would have been a mistake. Now it seems like they've made a pretty, a pretty nice concession though, to try and make sure that we don't have a situation that we got into with the Saints and the Rams. We don't have that situation again. So the new rule which I'm not sure if it's been confirmed, but it looks like it's going to be confirmed, is the replay official will initiate a pass interference review if there are less than two minutes in the game. I think in the half, too, but definitely in the game. And that means the, the coaches, they don't have to be the ones to challenge for that, which is also good because you never know, if what if the coach is out of challenges? Then you still have the situation you had against the Saints and the Rams. Like oh, just coincidentally, Sean Payton didn't have another challenge, so he couldn't do it. So, same, same controversy is there, right? This using the replay official to initiate the review. This ensures that you know there's kind of a last line of defense. Also, my favorite part about the rule is the replays have to be watched in full speed, and that's because of what I just said. It's a subjective call, pass interference. It isn't. It isn't diabetes. It isn't binary. There's not a, it's definitely pass interference or it's not. Oh, he touched a finger on his jersey. That's pass interference. Listen, it's a little bit of a nebulous rule. It's got to be a bit of a judgment call. So I'm glad that they have to watch it in full speed instead of slowing it down where you can really make the argument that every play is pass interference. So I think that that's the other positive.
1: The other thing, and I'm trying to track this Welcome down, back. that they were going to talk about changing the overtime rule to ensure I think Kansas City submitted a proposal that would guarantee each team at least one possession in overtime. I think right now, if a team receives and you know makes a field goal, the other team gets a chance, but if they score a touchdown right off the bat, the game is over. It always struck me that the result of a game shouldn't hinge on chance. And that you, you know, you should at least get why would why the resistance to giving both teams an opportunity. So there's length of the game is the only thing I can think of.
0: Right. And and that's something, and that's something that why I'm glad that they didn't mess with that. I mean, this already with the, with the pass interference review under two minutes, this could make for games. This could make them much longer. And there's already too many stops in football games as it is. And you know how horrible watching basketball is. And under the five minutes, I think I heard this. I don't know if I heard it on big cat on the barstool podcast the other day, but somebody was saying, uh, no, I can't remember which podcast it was on, but somebody's dad told them when they were growing up, do not watch basketball games until the last five minutes because it's all worthless until the last five minutes. And the last five minutes going to basically take as long as the early part in the game. So when you're coming to that overtime rule, like you're saying, yeah, that would be, you don't want these things to go on too long, but it really comes down to two things for me. Number one is how much do people care about defense? I actually think that the rule right now is good. Like, If your defense can stop the offense to a field goal, we're not saying that you have to stop them to no points. We're not saying you have to give them a three and out. Just You can get them all the way down to the one-yard line. You can let them go all the way down the field as long as you stop them to a field goal, and then you you give your offense an opportunity to go score. And so if – we're saying the de- the defense doesn't matter if the first team can score a touchdown. Well, we need to get the offense back on here because it's all about the offenses. Well, you have a defense too, and that's part of football. And I know that the rules have been subverting that concept recently. But shouldn't you put some weight onto the defense to to be able to win a game for you? My only counter argument to that is the rules have gotten so skewed in favor of the offense that it helps the offense so you are at a little bit of a disadvantage there but that's where the three points come in like okay you don't have to stop them completely but if you give up a touchdown then hey you your defense gets paid too you should have stopped them
1: well that's a good point i can't argue with that i just like for for entertainment value i'd like to see them both have a shot the other drill or the other Thing that uh, the other change is that they've banned the Oklahoma drill. Now they phrase this as ask teams to ban, so I'm not sure if this is a literal ban or you know just uh, strongly suggested. But that that's a that's a pretty big change. That's pretty traditional, right? All the way down to Pee Wee.
0: I think that's really the point is to get it all the way down to pee wee because I don't think they do it that much in the NFL. They definitely aren't doing Oklahoma drills during the regular season, but I think the goal of the rule is to get colleges, high schools, and pee wee leagues to stop doing them, which I, I feel like we have talked about this before. It's tough, so sorry, guys, if we're sort of retreading on this. It's been on our outline for weeks because we have some segments on it, but I do think it's a good idea because there is a bit – of i don't want to say an attack on the sport of football but obviously a lot of parents are worried about their kids playing football since the concussion studies have come out and and there's definitely definitely a lot of legitimacy to that so there are things that you can do to make the game more safe like taking out oklahoma drills which i think that's a great idea you'll make it more safe you'll ensure the survival of the sport you'll make it easier for kids to uh, for parents to sign their kids up for the sport and it doesn't it's not unrealistic like the you know some of the roughing the quarterback penalties that we complained about last year where it gets a little bit ridiculous you know or or the defenseless receiver in the head penalty which can be a little bit ticky tacky because we know that the receivers sometimes duck and they get hit in the head or it's not intentional it's something that you just can't stop you don't have control over well this oklahoma drill thing you do have control over so i think it's a pretty good call
1: so I'm going to be accountable for that. Yes, we did talk about this before. I guess I'm just so passionate about the Oklahoma
0: drill. I just want to keep talking about it. I think it's interesting, though. And there's more to talk about there. We have some segments on that underneath. and So maybe we'll save some more of the Oklahoma segments for when they get closer to Oklahoma drill season. Just like I have some more segments on what we were, I really wanted to talk about in my quest towards Steeler fanaticism, I have some very funny stories about a precocious young adolescent and the things I used to do to become a Steelers historian at the ages of, you know, 11 and 12. But we, this is, this is a pro radio move. These are teases. We got more in the bag.
1: Yeah. And what, what good are Oklahoma drills in, uh, in shorts? So we'll we'll defer that. The other thing we were talking about, and you have to remind me who was talking about this online. Um, the difference, what is more important to a team, culture or strategy?
0: Right. So this might be where I mix up. It wasn't actually the Barstool podcast. I think it was Florio on Pro Football Talk with Big Cat um, from the Barstool podcast. And but really, it's just more of a national conversation because the defensive coordinator, new defensive coordinator for the New York Jets, Greg Williams, the famous Bounty hunter, bounty hate, uh, bounty gate scandal in New Orleans, where he got suspended for a year, or whatever it was. When the players on the New Orleans Saints Super Bowl winning team used to take bets on uh, who could knock the quarterback, the opposing starting quarterback out of the game. Apparently, Jonathan Vilma, the middle linebacker at the time, put ten grand on the table before that NFC Championship game, trying to see who could knock out Brett Favre. And then he's obviously – he went to the Browns. He's the guy who said he had so many head coaching calls. He had 11 head coaching calls. He didn't have time to get to all of them. Of course, never got a head coaching job anywhere. So the guy is a little bit delusional. He's a little bit of a psychopath. He's a little bit of a joke to be honest with you. And But he's – he has been able to put together some decent defenses. He's never put together a really great defense honestly. This isn't like – Rex Ryan back in the day when you used to – whatever team he went to would get a great defense until it all kind of crumbled in in Buffalo. But he has had some very competitive defenses and obviously the New Orleans Saints, when they won the Super Bowl, he was their coordinator and they were very opportunistic. When he was talking to the media last week, he said the Jets – teams don't bring me in as the defensive coordinator for my – for strategy. They bring me in for a culture change. And that culture is much more important than X's and O's. And when I first heard that, and I think when a lot of people first hear that, you think, yes, this is Greg Williams. He's a complete psychopath, delusional meathead. And this is why he never has a top-ranked defense. Because maybe if you put some thoughts into the X's and O's, like, I don't know, the New England Patriots, the Baltimore Ravens, the teams who are very good at defense. Maybe if you did that, you'd have a top tier defense. But then I thought about it a little more and one thing I will say to his credit is he never had like an a, an abundance of talent on any of the defenses he coached for, whether it was the Saints, the Redskins, the Browns, and there is something to be said defensively probably more than offensively, you know, scheme-wise because On defense, you're reacting to what the offense is doing. Your scheme can only go so far, whereas on offense, you can get a Kyle Shanahan or a Sean McVay who can orchestrate misdirection and movement that can manipulate the defense. It's a little bit different. But when I look at the Jets, I see they have the leader of their defense is what is it, second or third year safety, Jamal Adams, who's basically an Earl Thomas clone with a huge mouth and a huge attitude. Kind of a Jalen Ramsey esque type of guy, as far as that goes. And then they have the two the Williams twins on the defensive line. Both base, excuse me, basically both of those guys were considered the number one overall prospect in their draft years. Um, and they slid to the Jets at like picks three and four, respectively. Then they got CJ Mosley, who's obviously a Baltimore Ravens linebacker. You know, you know he has attitude. So if you think about it, they have talent. And if you can get them to have that Jacksonville Jaguars, that Seattle Seahawks Legion of Boom type of swagger, the big mouth, whether it was Richard Sherman or whether it was Jalen Ramsey still on the, on the Jaguars. I do think that counts for something because defense, the, the swagger goes into a lot of it. And like I said, it's a reactionary side of the ball. So if you have the talent, as long as your scheme isn't Keith Butler crap, you, you might be okay. So what do you think on – I guess that touting of culture over strategy isn't as absurd as I thought it was when he first said it.
1: The fact that it's even compared, that you're even talking about them in the same breath is the absurdity because culture is an overused term. What does it mean? Does it mean they all get along together? Does it mean they all think together? Or does it mean something like the way I would look at the Patriots, this Belichick – Establishes his, pe- his his operating plan, and you're either with me or you're you're without me. And in that way, he eliminates all doubt. Everybody sort of knows what you have to do to perform, and he sticks by those rules. Is that a culture? What's you know we talk about a culture a of winning. Well, you don't win until you have you have the talent and you can coordinate the talent. I don't think you can motivate the talent. I mean, I, I think motivation comes within, and I don't think too many of these guys in the NFL need that they're there, you know, between the, you know, just the competitive nature and the money. I'm not so sure if, you know, if there's anybody who needs any motivation, they should be out. So to me, it's the job is putting people in the best position to win. And I think that in itself is just teaching people the basics. You do have to have, you know, there is strategy involved. And like you say, even the inability to, you're, you're sort of following the offense on defense, even that inability requires some kind of strategy to deal with it. So of course. You know, I gave this some more thought and I didn't want to just dismiss it because it sounded ridiculous. I actually, there's no such, there, there's no scenario where you'd have to pick one or the other.
0: Yeah. And that's an awesome point you made about the Patriots, because if you think about it, obviously they have fantastic strategy. Bill Belichick is one of the greatest defensive minds in history. I mean, he was behind the New York Giants, uh, Super Bowl winning teams on that defense. And then obviously you've seen all the things he's he's done in New England, the first half of their dynasty. (laughs) Nobody wants to admit this at this point, because apparently it was Tom Brady who led them to all these Super Bowls. But no, Tom Brady was a very good complimentary piece towards a fantastic defense. And now those are all the famous Patriots defenders, the like borderline hall of fame type of guys with Brewski and Ty law and, and, and all the people they had back then. And now they just have this cavalcade of like, yeah, they get some pretty good guys, but they always have a top five defense. So strategically. Yes, they're great. Obviously Josh McDaniels working with Tom Brady and Bill Belichick on the offensive side. We know that they have a 20 year, um, compiled offense that strategically is so good that it can get people like Chris Hogan wide open without anybody within 50 yards of him in the AFC championship against the Steelers. So we know they have strategy, but just as much as that, you hear about the Patriot way. And again, I'll give you another little apology (laughs) to our fans here about if you don't want to hear us talk about AB and Bell or you don't want to hear us talk about the Patriots, well, you need to talk about the Patriots because they are the gold standard. And if you measure what they do, you can see how close other teams are to accomplishing accomplishing things. But like I was saying with the Patriot way, the whole concept of like if – You know if you're on the Patriots, you're playing for the team. They don't give a crap about how many catches you have game to game or how many carries or or this or that or whatever. And part of that, they get that luxury because they've won so much now that people know that, hey, they can do this with or without me. But the other part is just what they've established. And New England is famous for not being fun. Like if you're a player there and you're a coach there, it is a grind and it's not enjoyable legitimately until you get those ring ceremonies every year or every other year or whatever it is. So they bring in people who can take that. And there have been other players who haven't been able to take that. You even look at Josh Gordon. I don't know if that's the exact reason for it, but Josh Gordon was absolutely tearing it up with the Patriots last year and didn't make it through the end of the season. Now I'm gonna, I'm going to, I can't attribute that all to being the Patriot way, but you got to wonder if that has something to do with it. And they are able in new England to marry that culture of like, you are here to work and you know that you're part of this machine and you have to do your job, do your responsibility. And that's how they get away with marginally talented rosters being, so unbelievably successful because of the cultural aspect. And then they have the scheme to put them in position to make the plays or like the, what the chargers did to the Steelers, figuring out their coverages to make sure that they can manipulate the Steelers defense into covering Keenan Allen with, with linebackers, every, every player, whatever it was.
1: So Jag Jaguar cornerback, Jalen Ramsey is looking for a new deal. You have any, uh, any thoughts, any bets on the up, possibility he will get one before the end of his rookie contract
0: now that that, you know as far as segues go (laughs) i don't know how to to segue into it but jalen ramsey we did talk about him a little bit earlier and then you and i were talking on the phone the other day about this and i was talking to p bush a resident Jets fan who we need to have back on the podcast soon but was talking about this Jalen Ramsey people are coming after him because he's such I mean he's such a douche but if he were on our team he would be the most loved douche of all time because he is unbelievable he's pretty much the NFL's best cornerback, and he has at least one or two years left on his deal and you know he was a top 10 pick and so he gets paid more than you know, what happened to Le'Veon Bell, Martavis Bryant, and Juju, as in terms of rookies who overperform, who outperform those rookie contracts, but then you're locked into it for four years in those guys' cases and those Steelers' cases. And you could be one of the best receivers in the league, but you're still not even getting, you know, barely a million a year or whatever it is. Well, Jalen Ramsey was a top 10 pick, so he gets more than they get. But this guy has been the best cornerback in the NFL for the past three years. So he is getting. Pen, they're, it's pennies on the dollar for what the Jaguars are getting for this guy right now. He wants the Jaguars to sign him to a new deal. I think that was his third year. He's going into his fourth year since he's the first.
1: Yeah. Right? He's going to his fourth year
0: and he'll be subject to a, a fifth year option. Exactly. And then you can franchise tag him after that. And then you can even franchise him a, a second time in a row. So like these first round picks get really screwed. Like the teams can lock them up for seven years to underpay them and i know that if you get on the franchise tag at the end you're getting some of your value but jalen ramsey wants to get paid now instead of waiting two years or three years or whatever it is and honestly i think the jaguars are crazy for not doing it the eagles just did the same thing with carson wentz they decided to pay him though uh, a year early and you know what's going to happen is first off jalen ramsey deserves the new contract Yes, he's gotten paid more than his contemporary rookie contract guys, but the dude's been the number one corner. He should be making quarterback-type money, so you're still getting a crazy discount on him. But if you sign him now, just the way inflation works with salaries and everything like that, and especially with the new CBA coming up and legalized gambling um, going Legal nationwide, there's going to be so much more revenue coming into the NFL. The salary cap's going to increase more than ever. The player salaries are going to go through the roof. If you sign him now, you're actually going to be getting a discount in two or three years from what he'd be making. And I think that he is right to ask for the new deal. And then he went on Instagram Live and he's being funny and he's joking around. He's very charismatic, obviously, telling his teammate, running back Leonard Fournette, that. He gave them like basically like the Deion Sanders quote. Uh, they had their chance to give me the contract this year. If they're gonna be trying to get that discount next year, I'ma told them I'm gonna tell them you had the chance to get that discount. You're gonna need to put me on layaway. I'm gonna ask for so much money, they're gonna need to put me on layaway. A la Deion Sanders. And uh, I I think that the Jaguars are probably making a mistake and they'd be saving some money if they sign him a little bit early.
1: I don't know these rookies. When we were going to talk a little bit about, um, you know, my my conversation was going to be about fairness, and I and I know I've argued this before that it has nothing to do with being fair. This is about business and what they can get away with. I and I am I am no uh, socialist or, or, or communist, but man, this this <laughs> system is so bad. It has so far away from being. Oh
0: yeah,
1: uh, fair is not even the right word. But it works to the advantage of fans because we keep pouring money into to the NFL. But is that? Uh, but when you watch this guy, so he had a twenty-two million dollar contract, which is about what you can count on as a as a highly you know as a first round rookie. Twenty-two
0: million was, for five years. Twenty-two million for four million total? years. For four twenty-two years.
1: million. Twenty-two million total is what the package for a first round. Yeah, you should you know, be
0: making that per year,
1: basically yeah without a without a chance that you you're locked I mean you got Jalen he, he got a 15 million dollar guarantee when he signed so but it with a you know upside of up to twenty two million dollars and man they're getting the production out of these guys and and you at the at the what they are paying for veteran salaries and it's just a um but then you have the situation where you have a veteran like Chris Boswell with two million dollars due to him. And the Steelers have all the leverage. I mean, that a contract isn't a contract. A contract is black. I mean, I considered that blackmail. Right, Boswell it is. had two million dollars, and you said you you could call it what you want. It's not an, It's in his contract, and they did not guarantee him on us anything other than they wouldn't cut him today. So, right. look, don't take your two million dollars. We want to see how training camp goes, and then we'll you know if you make it, we'll give you your two million dollars. And I know that's it's a Hobson's choice. For Chris Boswell, two million dollars, and he will mostly, most most likely—I don't know—would he most likely get cut, or is he just going to hope he makes it and yeah. um, foregoes two million dollars, and they can cut him anyway?
0: Well, it's messed up. It's just not a two—it's not a two-way street because they, basically what they're saying, and, and obviously I understand from a strategic point what they're trying to do. You know, we can't trust Chris Boswell right now, and you got to put the best team on the field, right? But they're saying you know, we paid you all this money. We gave you a new contract and you're not performing up to that contract. So we don't want to give you that money, but they don't want to mention when he was basically the best kicker in the league playing for $500 a game. And I'm exaggerating there, but they picked him up off the street. So it's like, wait, but what about that? Oh, don't worry about that. That was fair. We were getting the best kicker in the league who won three or four or five games, you know, the prior year for the Steelers on game winning kicks had the best kicking percentage, I believe in the history of the Pittsburgh Steelers. And at that time they weren't paying anything from, he was barely making any money. They picked him up off of the street to save them from the Josh Scobie disaster. So how is that fair? Like, oh, when you're outperforming it, no, no stick to your contract. But if you're, uh, if they finally give you money and you're underperforming it, Oh well, you're not sticking to the contract. Like it's just not a two way street, and that's the real problem with it. And then with the the Jaguars thing with Jalen Ramsey, what you were saying, you know, it's not it's not fair. It's about business. It's funny because to me they're crossing the line of well, it's definitely not fair, but they're also, in my opinion, practicing bad business when it comes uh, time to construct. Their team, you could get this superstar locked up at a discount, and you are you're missing that opportunity. And the thing with with, with fans that there's this, uh, it's understandable because at the surface, you can see why. People and fans get mad at players because we're loyal to our teams and we love the players individually, but it it seems greedy when you see guys who are making millions of dollars and they want more millions of dollars. Well, the fact is like this isn't a government stipend. Their, their, their salaries don't come out of your taxes. they come out of people who are paying to see the games, from people who are buying concessions at the games, from people who are buying jerseys who are buying direct TV subscriptions who are watching the games and and all these massive companies are selling advertising for the commercials during the game. The money is rolling in and we are it, it, the the players are making that money and we're lucky that we follow a team like the Steelers that that is overall, Uh, way more on the moral high ground than a lot of other teams are. Luckily, a family-owned team, and they are trying to win the Super Bowl every year. We're constantly, for 10 years, talking about how close the Steelers are to the top of the salary cap, but there are other teams who intentionally spend – below the salary cap that's why there is a salary cap floor there is a minimum amount of money you were allowed to spend i don't think a lot of fans are aware of that and some teams believe it or not but it's the truth stay closer to that floor so that the owners who are already billionaires who are a lot of people you really have to worry about so that they can make more money, even though there's more money that's coming in that they could fairly pay to their players. but So that's who the money's going to instead of the players. This isn't just as simple as like, oh, they're millionaires, they don't deserve it. Uh, Of course they deserve it, they're earning it. People are giving them the money, so I don't know. I'm a little soapboxy right now, I'm sorry. I'm not probably not uh, expressing myself fully accurately there, but you would like to see there be some sort of a meeting in the middle here because, like you said, look at Chris Boswell. That's just someone who's getting – he's getting screwed. Well, I'm going to backtrack
1: a little bit on that. I was just looking at his salary. He got sure. seven seven $7.3 million last year between a signing and roster bonuses. So he did get paid. But I will say what I said before is you have these contingent Fair. roster bonuses in the future. And they gave him a choice. Take it and get cut today or defer it. Hopefully you don't get cut in August. And that, that just that just doesn't sit well with me. So, look, any kind of changing of the the allocation of the dollars is going to come out of veterans' pockets. Now, what would have happened with Bud Dupree? I you mean, know, obviously, he took his fifth year option, and I think you have to pay him. He's a top pick, so he's got to be paid at the average of the top ten linebackers, I guess, or at that position. So that would have to that that might go away, and that wouldn't bother me at all because I think we overpaid for Bud.
0: Right. Well, I don't know. I think, you know, like I said before, I think Bud can be a... a He's obviously being tremendously overpaid. I think he can be a solid contributor. So do you. I know we've talked about this a lot as an outside linebacker in terms of, hey, he's not going to make the Pro Bowl, but he can do some good things. He can be schemed into some sacks. He plays decent run defense. He's decent uh, in pass coverage and everything like that. So he's overpaid right now. My hope is that he plays this year. This could be his best year yet because, listen, whether you like to say it or not, he's, he's played super injured two years in a row. And I think that he can get a little bit better and it'll be great to see if he plays a little bit better. And then going into the next year, maybe he doesn't have a ton of suitors and free agency and the Steelers can re-sign him for a a, a, a lesser price than what they paid for this year. I don't know if it'll work like that. I think it's you know open market. These other people may not be rushing to pay him a ton of money, but I, I can't, I there's no way of me knowing what they'll want to want to pay I, I wouldn't take that bet but there's plenty of other bets i would take and i'd take them all on my bookie because my bookie offers betters in all major markets and entertaining lineup of gaming options they have unique prop bets will bud dupree make more or less in 2020 than the 2019 fifth year option amount i don't know let's bet on it on my bookie if, you, if you're you know clairvoyant take advantage of in-game live betting on over-unders and fantasy points scored visit my bookie ag online today and don't forget to use that promo code outpost25 when creating your account to claim up to one thousand dollars in free play remember who you're betting on is just as important as who you're betting with you play you win you get paid
1: we're gonna get out of here because this is the yeah i gotta get rolling. this is the one day a month i can get red meat with uh nagging for it i'm gonna go and pick up the ribs for father's day for the father's day outing this afternoon nice Something i've been planning for for 364 days we love to get your feedback check us out on instagram at steelers outpost hit us up on twitter at steelers outpost leave us a note on the website Outpost.com, or just shoot us an email at Steelers Outpost at gmail.com until next week thanks for listening go steelers
0: okay bye-bye
3: The full story has never been told, so I'm going to tell it. Broomgate. How a broom almost killed curling. It was a year I'd like to forget. To listen to Broomgate, search for Broomgate in your favourite podcast app. That's all one word. Broomgate. Achieving a gorgeous grin from home isn't a total mystery with Bite clear aligners. Just don't be surprised if all of your sleuthing friends start asking, what's your secret?